Welcome to Mind, Body, and Spite, where each episode we will be taking a deep dive into the disorders of both mind and body with a hell of a lot of spite thrown in. We are not medical doctors, therefore the information and opinions contained in this podcast should not be taken as medical advice. Although, with as much research as we've done, we really should get honorary degrees. So sit back, relax, and learn some fancy medical terminology, the signs and symptoms of a disorder, and how to survive. Then, learn how it really feels. Hello, everyone. We are back for another episode of Mind, Body, and Spite. This week, we are going to be talking about generalized anxiety disorder, or as we in the therapy world call it, GAD. Anna's going to be discussing what our book, the DSM-5-TR, talks about GAD and the criteria. All right. It's not a super in-depth criteria. It's kind of vague, so because generalized anxiety is kind of a vague thing because it's generalized. So first point is that excessive anxiety and worry occurring more days than not for at least six months. And it can be about all different things. It can really be about anything. So next one B, the individual finds it difficult to control the worry. And then we have um, six symptoms and you need to have at least three um, that have been present for more days than not for the past six months. So those are restlessness or feeling keyed up or on edge, being easily fatigued, difficulty concentrating or mind going blank, irritability, muscle tension, and sleep disturbance, which can be difficulty falling, staying asleep, or restless sleep. And finally, the anxiety where physical symptoms cause significant distress. That's always in the DSM. You're not going to diagnose unless the thing is interfering in someone's life. And it should not be attributable to another issue such as a substance or a medication and is not better explained by another mental disorder. And I just have to add, irritability is one of the symptoms. And when we learned in diagnostic class about GAD, the first thing our professor said is he was like, people with GAD are irritable, like all the time. And I have GAD and I am irritable as fuck, as you know. So I, yeah, I have really had to work on mine as well. I, cause I used to work with kids. So I learned a lot of patience with that. I think that really helped the irritability that just taking that step back and breathing and going, okay, these aren't my kids. I get to go home after this. Well, it's just like, you're so on edge. And then I don't know if people know, like anger is often described as a secondary emotion, meaning you're having a primary emotion, sadness, anxiety, whatever. And it comes out as anger often because people Mm -hmm. feel like anger is a more societally acceptable and you're kind of in control. So it's very common for anxiety to come out as anger. I know that happens for me too. So irritability, man. Especially, I think especially for men, that anger is going to be the more often behavior we see just because of the, you know, whole macho man problem we have in America. The you can't be anxious, you can't show fear, you can't show sadness. Well, I'm allowed to show anger. Yeah. Do y'all get the muscle tension from anxiety? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my shoulders are like ugh. Leah, do you even have anxiety? Um, I I do have anxiety. I because I'm a human being that lives in this world. Um, I don't have all of the criteria to be diagnosable necessarily. So I was going to ask, do you get muscle tension? I don't, no. I mean, well, 
<laughs> I get muscle tension. I don't get muscle tension from anxiety. I get it so bad. Like at night, I have to like take a hot and cold shower, like back and forth to calm my like muscles and then like use like this foam roller thing. And then it's like a stretch and whole ordeal because by the end of the day, my shoulders are like up at my ears mm-hmm. and I'm like, eh, like a, a Quasimodo situation. It's, it's not great. It is interesting how much with anxiety specifically, mm-hmm. how much of it manifests in like physical symptoms. I think that's like with anxiety, with anxiety in particular, I see that the most in terms of the physical sensations that people experience in their bodies. I sweat. I sweat like a crazy person. Mm-hmm. I sweat, but I'm pretty sure that's from the pots. <laughs> yeah, my muscle tension is like I bring my shoulders up and I know I kind of like make myself small. And so I definitely do like that curling into a ball, making myself little. And so I know that's where a lot of my muscle or uh, shoulder and back and neck pain come from. I think a lot of mine also comes from like obscene amount of caffeine that I consume, which does not help my anxiety. And then I'm just like stiff, like, I don't even know, you could probably like punch me and I wouldn't even feel it. So I have GAD. It is probably one of my more controlled disorders. Um, I take Vibrid for it, which is not an SSRI or an SNRI. It's its own kind of serotonogenic class of medication and it is like it doesn't really help with depression but it really helps with like all different kinds of anxiety so look into that but um not giving medical advice not giving medical advice that's just what i take um sorry but yeah so mine really manifested when i was like really young like stomach aches are really common when kids who have anxiety so i was not able to stay a whole day school like when i was like eight or nine seven whatever I would have to go home because I'd get such bad stomach aches and I couldn't go to sleepovers. I couldn't answer the phone. I couldn't do anything. So I got put on like Prozac or something and I've been on a lot of different meds, but that one, I mean, it just, I was able to go to sleepaway camp. Like I was able to go to school. I was granted, I was very homesick at sleepaway camp and eight year old me tried to run away, but that's just more of an Anna thing. So, but I think now my OCD is more prevalent as far as anxiety, but I definitely am just kind of always on edge and irritable and worried about the what ifs and the what ifs are such a big indicator of anxiety, generalized anxiety. You're always either in the past or the pre- past or the future. You're never in the present. And we just anxiety lies in the future and past and present is like where calmness is. So I am often replaying things in my head or through future tripping, as we call it, a therapist. Um, what if this happens? What if this happens? That's kind of where I'm at with it right now is it's fairly under control, but I do sometimes get into these spirals that are non-OCD related where it's like, what if this happens? What if that happens? I don't know. That's kind of how mine presents as of late. Mm-hmm. How about you, Shalina? Mine is, and so I got diagnosed around like 20-ish. You got all your diagnoses late, girl. Yeah, all of them. How did you How did you manage? Well, I, I have... Uh, a few suicide attempts in my past, so not very well. <laughs> anyway, mine, it was a lot of the anger, the irritability, just this overwhelming sense of dread, just like constant. And as a gamer, I equate it to you're playing a video game and all of a sudden you hear 
like the fight music that happens when enemies are around, but you're like, where are the enemies? What? There's enemies here. Where, where the fuck are the enemies? And you're just looking around because you're like, I know they're here. I hear the music. Shalina loves her metaphors. <laughs> I do. My, um, my clients lovingly make fun of me that I love my metaphors. <laughs> But I was trying to come up with a metaphor of the difference between like anxiety attack and an actual panic attack. And ironically, that client also played video games. So I was like, well, I equate an anxiety attack to the like fight music for general enemies and you don't see them. But a panic attack is the boss fight music and you don't fucking see the boss anywhere. <laughs> And you're like, you know, you're going to die because you can't see the boss to fight. <laughs> Even as somebody that doesn't play video games, that makes sense. Like, I, that's a good, that, that makes sense in terms of differentiating the two things. So, Leah, having heard what generalized anxiety, what does this, like, normal human anxiety feel like? <laughs> I don't know that I would ever classify myself as a normal human, but um, I think that for me, it's so much more situational. And I think that like oftentimes with generalized anxiety disorder, there's not necessarily the why because it's chemical. It's, it's just how your, your body makeup is versus like for me, mm -hmm. I can nine times out of 10 pinpoint why I'm anxious. And so it's, it's strictly circumstantial in that sense. And once I'm out of that situation, I'm not anxious anymore. And I really love your point about the biological, because when you're learning about disorders in school, they point out like which ones are more trauma-based, which are more environmental-based, and anxiety in all its forms, OCD, generalized panic disorder, agoraphobia, it's all very biological. I mean, obviously, you mm -hmm. can have anxiety from trauma, but pure generalized anxiety, pure all those different things, they are extremely biological, extremely hereditary. Mm -hmm. And it's it's brain chemistry, it's serotonin, it's norepinephrine. It's really something that is going on in your brain. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I feel like that's probably the biggest difference where it's not all consuming. It's not majority of my time. It's like, it's very situational. So for me, I think, mm -hmm. you know, th this is connected to trauma. But anytime it, there's something medical in my life. I have an uptick in anxiety, but it's very clear and obvious. I think like from a symptom perspective, I experience it way more, I would say physically. I think I carry 90% of my anxiety in my stomach. So just like super nauseous and uneasy. And so it, you know, from that sense, it just, it's very, it's much, it's much more black and white for me. Mm -hmm. as, and I don't like saying that because black and white thinking isn't great, but it's just a clearer picture. No, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because I, I have a few clients who meet the criteria for GAD and we try to pinpoint, you know, your triggers and what is making you anxious. And that is the problem that most of them are like, I don't know. I'm like, I just yeah. feel anxious. Like, I just am scared. I don't know of what. And then that's the spiral, right? Because everybody wants mm -hmm. a reason. Everybody wants a why. Everybody wants to understand themselves better because they think that'll make them feel better. And when that doesn't exist, the idea of accepting that this is your state is really fucking hard.
but sometimes necessary. We'll have to do a um, dissociation episode. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Do y'all dissociate? I do. <laughs> she does everything. You just have to have a very traumatic <laughs> childhood and emotionally unavailable parents, and you can be exactly like me. <laughs> Or you can be like me and just have like the short end of the stick where like every single mental disorder that runs in your family was all funneled into you. As a therapist, the first thing that comes to mind is like, aside from, for both of you, aside from medication, what other things have you found to be helpful in terms of coping mechanisms or anything really i have a lot of fidgets and like the little fidget stickers or i have like my bracelets that i'll fidget with so something to like keep my hands busy and that's why i think most of my anxiety is more like restlessness with adhd but you know i have this diagnosis in a file at some time in the last 20 years so i'm like okay well (laughs) i'll at least talk about it yeah do you have an idea for yourself like what your triggers are and how you can like being proactive about it is the right word but just an awareness of what could make it worse Mm mm-hmm so uh, time is definitely a thing for me. Mm-hmm. So I have to be early. I have to be early. If I am on time, I am late. Hi, Erin. I'm so glad that you could make it. So we were just kind of discussing um, our how we came to our diagnosis, how long it took, if it was a fight, if it was a struggle, and like what obstacles that you still kind of face. Sure. So I am, um, I was, I was diagnosed by a psychiatrist. Um, I will say it took me, it took me a really long time to even kind of get up the uh, ambition and the kind of the guts to go and and say that, look, something's going on and I need help. I don't know if it's depression. I don't know if it's anxiety. And what triggered it for me was I was in a job that seemed like it was kind of a dream job. I was thrilled to be there. And I very quickly realized it, it was not, um, and I hated it. And I, um, it, it's it's a silly thing, but I have an Apple Watch, and it tracks my heart rate. And I would be in meetings, and after the meetings were over, it would tell me something like I'd get like a little icon on my watch that said like "Great workout," and it was just my heartbeat getting you know completely off the rails. And I thought maybe there's something physically wrong with me. <laughs> I went to a doctor, and uh, finally a. Uh, a psychiatrist and a therapist, and it was um, diagnosed as as anxiety. And it's just, uh, I've, I've since left that job, um, but it really, to me, it manifests in unnecessary worry um, about everything all the time. And I think it also has manifested in kind of trying to, like, overachieving, trying to do more and more and more to kind of prove that I'm doing something worthwhile, that I'm you know, that I'm, I'm over the things that I feel like could help me, help me back. I'm happy that I'm able to do the things I've been able to do. But on the other hand, I kind of question why I've, I've done them. Is it just to, you know, kind of, again, prove to myself that I'm a functioning adult, for lack of a better word, or 
um, is it just because these are things I really want to achieve? Because, you know, I'm 45 years old and I'm in school still. I'm a doctoral student. And I question myself kind of daily, like, what am I doing? And it's something I've wanted to do, but, you know, you know, struggle of anxiety on top of working a full-time job and being a full-time student. Try and overcompensate to hide your anxiety, essentially. Yeah, I want to, um, earlier we were talking about, like, DSM criteria. So I'm going to just read you six criteria, and I'd love to hear how they kind of apply to your anxiety. So... Um, restlessness or feeling on edge, being easily fatigued, difficulty concentrating, irritability, muscle tension, and sleep disturbance. How do those different criteria kind of play into your life? So sleep disturbance is a big one. I don't think, even as a kid, my parents said, like, I never took a nap. I never slept more than a couple hours, and I don't do it now. And mostly it's not not because I'm not tired, not because I couldn't use a nap or eight or nine hours of sleep. It just doesn't happen. Um, mainly because it's really hard for me to shut off my brain without some sort of medication. And, you know, I don't want to take sleeping pills all the time just to function. So I've kind of adjusted that even on like a, you know, a work night where I need to get up, it's five or six o'clock in the morning. I'm the, the best I can do is midnight. Um, and that's just sort of that's when I can lay down. But when my brain shuts off, it lets me relax and stop thinking about all the nonsense that I'm worried about. That's a different story. Um, other than that, I don't think somehow the fatigue doesn't get me as much, but definitely the restlessness. Like it's hard for me to sit and not do something or not feel like I should be doing something. Either on a weekend when I don't have a paper to write or research to do, it's like, well, are there towels to fold? Is there something else I should be doing? It's very hard to shut that off and just relax and not think I'm missing something. Yeah, absolutely. I have um, the day after our last class, I literally woke up and I was like, I have no papers to write. I have no tests to study for. Like, what am I supposed to do with my life? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've finished, I, I did my like undergrad a while ago and then I had wanted to go back and get a master's degree and I I did that and I finished that last year in May and right before I finished I said to two of my good friends my husband like if I say I'm doing any more education after this like you have permission to like slap me in the face I do not I can't do this anymore it's too much like I'm done and then not six months later I was like well you know what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna I don't and I thought surely I won't get in and then I did and got in at like, you know, the dream school. Like I was like, okay, this is best case scenario. And then I was like, oh no, now I have to do it. <laughs> and you know, it, it's been a very different process than my master's degree happened during COVID. I didn't really know my classmates besides on Zoom. And a lot of this now is in person. And I really deal with, like we have residencies we have to do. My like, almost like imposter syndrome or my anxiety to be in the same room with the people in my cohort is like we don't we have a residency in September I'm already worried about it because I have this feeling of like they are much better than me I shouldn't be here and I know technically that's not the case or else they wouldn't have accepted me into the program but I can't get past that hurdle when I'm sitting in a room with these people and thinking like oh my god how can I even make a comment 
they're all better than me. Like I'm this, I don't know. I, I, I can't get past that. And I've, I have talked to the therapist about that. I, I, idea of, you know, no, you wouldn't be there if you weren't supposed to be there. Schools don't just take people, you know, it's like, but I still can't get over that. And I still have trouble, even, you know, when we have these little assignments where you have to work in a group, my anxiety of like, oh no, <laughs> like, am I going to say something stupid? Or they get, you know, they're so much more advanced than me. They have better jobs. It, it's, that's really difficult. I'm also, it's, it's the thing of like, God forbid I don't get an A on something. I know I don't have to, you know, you know, I take a test or a quiz and I get like a 95 and I'm just ruined. I just like, what mess? Why did I not study enough? I should know better than that. You know, it's, that's a struggle. Absolutely. I, even in the ADHD episode we did, we talked about rejection sensitivity and I talked about getting a 95 on my first paper and my undergrad degree. And I was just like, what is this? I want to hear higher anxiety and menopause like outside of school. Um, outside of school, you know, it's, it's hard for me to, I had a really big group of friends and now I, I think I'm down to just a couple of my really good friends because they keep pushing me. I have a tendency to like not, you know, it's hard for me sometimes to feel like I'm again at the same level as them. Everybody is kind of living a very domestic life. Everybody has a bunch of kids. I don't. I'm still in school and everybody kind of thinks I'm crazy and what are you doing? You already have an okay job. And it's hard for me sometimes to connect with that. And even within you know, within my family, there was a lot of pressure to kind of live a different life than I'm living. And there's anxiety about that. It, it's kind of, you know, if I leave the house and I don't have enough makeup on, if my house, my hair is fixed, I'm not dressed the right way. Rationally, I know that's crazy. I know that that's not something that pe people aren't looking at me because I don't have eyeliner on. People aren't looking at me because the hair is out of place. But it's hard for me to not fixate on that sometimes. And, you know, it's not, I can tell myself it's not important and get in that loop in my head of being like, why are you worrying about this? But I still do worry about it. You know, even simple interactions with like a neighbor or something. I'm like, oh. I went outside with my shorts on to let the dog out. Are they looking at me? Like I can rationalize it later, but in the moment, I get, you know, the anxiety can take over and just it's put these thoughts in my head and I can't get past them. Low self-esteem related to anxiety. Do you feel like that's something that you deal with because I'm wearing a lot of that. Definitely. Um, definitely. And I feel like no matter what somebody's going to tell me about, you know, what I've done and what I should be happy about, it's hard for me to get past the things I feel like I haven't done. So, yeah. So, a lot of that imposter syndrome and almost like I have to earn my place among my friends. Yes. Not all of them. Um, you know, I have to kind of core people that I've been with since since we were 13 or 14 so it's the beginning of high school and but you know but the rest of them yeah it's like you know I what am I going to sit and tell people that I'm still a student uh, yeah it, it is it is kind of not with them but in my head the thing of like I'm not good enough to even be talking to these people I'm not good enough I have to prove that I've done something more and then when I think about you know people say to me like well you know even when you're done school with your job what do you want to do I don't know I just want to say that I've done it. I want to say that I've accomplished it because it's something I've wanted to do, but I'm not sure if I'm doing that for other people or for myself. And that's a, a tough thing to even think about sometimes. Okay. I have to make a joke real quick. I'm so sorry. Uh, when you're talking about your friends just today, I was telling Leah, Leah, I like, 
you guys are like my second tier best friends you're not like you're not like first tier like you're not my writer guys you're just like my best friend and so it doesn't make me think about that i was like no i love you guys but you're like it's like you're <laughs> i she had to make sure that she put us in our place like we need to know our standing but also when we have anxiety i was like well what if i'm not one of their best friends so i tell them that to maybe actually like make it sound less Hey, like you're like kind of my best friend. Am I your best friend? Like, Basically, she's playing hard to get. Is what we're here on. We am one your best friend. Best, the best of the best. Best of the best. Okay, sorry, I just I just came up earlier, so I just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Erin, um, is there anything that you have found helpful in your day to day life that has made it easier to cope? Um, I think. Gosh. Hmm. I think for me, a lot of what I've done in the past, like, so, you know, around friends, around relationships, around jobs, I did not ever want to quit and walk away from anything. I would hold on to something until the bitter end, no matter what it was, and be like, no, no, the problem here is me. I'm going to make this work. I think talking to a therapist, at one point I was talking to two at the same time, I think that it, it, it kind of... There was a, you know, probably like a month-long conversation about a job and a friendship, neither of which were serving me at the time. And I think, you know, talking to the therapist, she said, you know, what's going to happen if you quit? Like, what are you afraid of? If you tell this person you don't want to be friends anymore, if you quit this job, what are you, what's going to happen? Well, the worst possible thing that could happen. And, you know, besides the thing of not having a job and being, you know, <laughs> on the street or something, there was that. But they're really, I couldn't come up with a good reason to not sever either relationship. So I, you know, I had this very, very difficult conversation with this friend. And, you know, it, it was just that we, you know, relationships run their course, friendships run their course. I was just afraid of saying like, look, it, it was very, it had become very one-sided and become like, what can I do for her? And when I needed something, there was never an inch to give. And it just the conversation had to be had and after I did it it was like pulling off the worst band-aid ever it was I was scared to death and I did it and then it was done and then not too long afterwards I found another job and I left my job and the two of those things filled me with like so much dread but also it was like but but I did that and for me that felt like a bigger like kind of hill to get over than some of the other things that had been like real accomplishments just to be able to say I walked away from these things. They were not serving me. I'm going to be okay. I still struggle with doing that in, in some other respects, but being able to get to that point, I mean, honestly, in my adult life, I had not gotten to that point ever. I would just suffer myself and the anxiety would build up and the fear of something happening or going wrong would just build up and build up every time I had an interaction either at the job or with this this person. And walking away from it, while again, it's scary, um, I don't think I could have done a better thing for my mental health at the time. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy that, you know, I was able to kind of do that. I see that sort of as more of a win of so, than some of the other things that I've done, but it's still things like that, you know, are still a struggle for me, but I, I feel like I have a little bit of coping mechanism with having consistently tried to stay with some sort of therapy. It's been a struggle for me because I feel like every time I've found a therapist that I love, 
um, either they move away, figure it out, you know, they, they leave private practice and then you have to start over. So finding somebody that fit with me and being able to continuously talk through things that come up, I, I think that's been the biggest thing that's helped me at this point. Other than that, it's just kind of trying to, trying, I say, um, but trying not to put so much weight onto things that really aren't as important as my brain and, you know, the anxiety is making up. Well, anyone else have any other questions? You did mention, like, coping skills. Is there anything you do, like, you, like, specific coping skills? I know, Shalina, what were you saying you do earlier? I do, like, my breathing exercises, and then I have, like, a lot of fidgets. And I try and use, like, mindfulness a lot, because we were talking earlier about how, like, anxiety lives in the future and past, so I try to use mindfulness to get myself into the present moment, so... Because that's not where anxiety lives. And I, I like act acceptance and commitment therapy too, like cognitive diffusion, things like that. And then CBT, like reframing, challenging thoughts, you know, when they're like, what if this happens? Or what if it does happen? Or why would that happen? So those are things that we use kind of specific skills. Erin, do you have any specific skills that you use? So that's, um, that, that's, a, that's a good point. I think for me... Um, having worked through, you know, with, with a couple of different therapists and given some tools, one of the things that, that I had been, you know, asked to do sort of this therapy homework at one point was to kind of look at my week and what are the things in my week, be them, you know, work, school, social, family, what are the things that I know from the past are going to trigger my anxiety, like kind of look a week ahead and then do some journaling, even if it's just a couple bullet points of what do I, you know, well, the way my, my therapist framed it, three things that could go wrong and three things that could go right. And if you if you think about it in advance, if you write it out, if one of those things happens, you, you've kind of given it some thought. It won't be as heavy in the moment. And that has helped me to a point. Um, so I do do that. I also do have a couple breathing exercises that I do to kind of calm myself down. And if I'm at home, um, because I do work from home from time to time, Sometimes I just have to step away, go outside with my dog, sit outside for five minutes, five minutes, two minutes, and just kind of look at something, focus my mind on that. If it's a tree, if it's a leaf, something other than everything kind of swirling in my head. And being able to do those two things, both of which, you know, were came from therapy, they do help. Um, so I try to do that if I can. But kind of the, the looking in advance, especially if I have something really coming up that I know is going to cause anxiety in the moment, like if it's a presentation or a meeting or something, thinking about that in advance and just saying, okay, what could go wrong? These couple things could go wrong, but what could go right? Just writing that down. It sounds silly sometimes, me making little notes in my notebook, but it does, um, that has helped me at least if things come up, think about, okay, I thought about this. Here's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I use scripts with my clients. So I'll have play script you're going to if they react with anger you will say this or if they react with annoyance you will say this so yeah it's very similar yes called coping ahead it sounds like you do some mindfulness too you know like going outside just focusing on a leaf focusing on whatever that's definitely some mindfulness you know bringing yourself into the present moment which is very helpful when you're stuck in like the what ifs what ifs yeah it is it's Sometimes, though, it's it's even getting myself to a point where I can think about doing that, you know, because if I'm sitting at my desk in my office and it's like, you know, hours will pass before I'm like, I have to kind of break out of it and say, no, 
step outside and just walk around the building once or just walk, you know, to the end of the block once and just think about what's going on outside and like not what's going on at the moment. And that definitely, I don't, I don't think I, I frame it as, as mindfulness as much, but I guess that's exactly what it is. Um, I've tried unsuccessfully uh, to meditate and I just can't clear my brain enough for that. But the shorter thing was, you know, kind of taking just a short break to stop and think about something else or to step away from what I'm doing that has helped in the moment. So I, I have continued to do that. It's so interesting to hear you, all of you talk about this from like a, a specific diagnosis standpoint and how it's impacted your life. I think it's so, it's always so clear as a therapist when you hear somebody talking, whether they're in therapy or not. And Aaron, it is so clear that you've been doing the work and that's so cool that you found something that helps and makes life feel less overwhelming at times. Or at the very least, helps you recognize, you know, that life will be overwhelming and that that's okay, too. Um, so just really thank you for coming on and talking with us and, and being vulnerable in this space with a couple of strangers. Thank you. Um, I, I appreciate the, uh, the the place to do it. And sorry that I was a little bit behind. I'm uh it's it's kind of everything is chaos at the moment, which is probably partially to do with the anxiety. But uh, I think I, I can't really, um, you know, I'll just say I, I don't think I can um, over, you know, emphasize how helpful it was for me to consistently talk with someone, you know, at some therapy of some kind, even, you know, if it's Zoom or a phone call with, you know, even if it's down to, you know, once every couple of weeks, I was going twice a week for a while to therapy. And I think just being able to continue to to check in and consistently work on things with somebody has been key for me to get to kind of a, a functional point in my life because otherwise I'm, I'm not sure how I'd be handling a lot of things at this point. It's very obvious you're in therapy and as therapists, we all appreciate that you're in therapy. And I just want to thank you as well for your vulnerability. It must be very bizarre opening up to people you can't even hear our faces. You don't hear what we look like, but you're opening up and it's going to help. I have my camera on. I can't <laughs> Nina, I can't see any way out. The best, it's okay. Thank you. Um, but yeah, thanks again. I think it's um, it's this is important. I, I know a lot of people are likely dealing with the same thing in some manifestations. So sometimes it's good to talk about it. And sometimes talking about it with strangers is easier than talking about it with people you know. Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. And, you know, I hope you are liking the show. Thank you. I, I have. I've listened to a couple episodes. I think it's good, too. Again, it's helpful to hear from a therapist or, you know, it's helpful to hear that point of view, but it's helpful to hear from, you know, real people going through things as well. So I think that's a great perspective on both ends, um, you know, to, to break down stuff like this. I think it's really helpful. So keep um, keep at it. I'm enjoying it. And thanks for having me. Do you have an obscure, rare, or not well-known disorder that you want to share? Or shine a light on and advocate for? Or just bitch and complain about? Email us at mindbodyandspite at gmail.com or reach out on our Facebook page. You can also find information about future episodes and ask questions of future guests and recommend disorders for future episodes. Check the show notes or our Facebook page for articles and references used in this episode, including media and reading recommendations. Thank you.